Welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Vitreo. We bring you free-flowing conversations with top thought leaders in philanthropy and the nonprofit sector. Sit back, relax, listen and enjoy as we share ideas and discuss topics that are important, timely, and we hope will transform the nonprofit world. Hello, and welcome to Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Betrayal. This is episode 18, recorded Thursday, September the 13th, 2018. I'm Vincent Duckworth. I'm a fundraiser and a partner with Betrayal Group. We are a national agency focused on bold leadership and transformative fundraising. In this episode, our ninth of the year, we are joined by Tanya Kaszowski from Brown Bagging for Calgary's Kids, Christy MacGyver from Kids Cancer Care, and Marina Glogovac with Canada Helps. Our topic, is in-person fundraising dead? How does relationship fundraising change as more and more people give online? We have three thoughtful sector leaders with us today, all extremely experienced in online giving. For most fundraisers, sitting down with a donor to ask for a gift is a big part of the job. In recent years, how this is done has begun to change. Increasingly sophisticated technology, combined with a demographic shift amongst donors and fundraisers, has given rise to more and more gifts being made online. For some, this feels like the death of in-person fundraising. For others, it is a natural evolution that has already taken hold in the for-profit sector, and now it is time for it to take hold in the non-profit sector. Join us as we discuss the role of technology, giving online, and the future of relationships in the non-profit sector. All this and more coming up next on Brain Trust Philanthropy, powered by Betrayal. We have three amazing guests with us today. They all have wide expertise and experience with fundraising and online giving. I'm excited to welcome them to the podcast, and they're excited to be here. Let's get started. Joining us from Toronto, we have the President and CEO of Canada Helps, Marina Gogovach. Marina is one of a handful of Canadian nonprofit leaders who is helping to shape the future of giving in Canada. I've been a fan ever since she joined Canada Helps, but I have become an even more ardent champion of Marina and her message ever since she started very publicly helping to dispel the myth of overhead and administrative ratios. We've been trying to find, trying to get Marina on our podcast since we started uh, just over 18 months ago. Marina, welcome. Thank you. It's so great to be here. We are so pleased to have you as well. I am sure many of our listeners already know, but for those who don't, in addition, or perhaps as part of your leadership at Canada Helps, you've been an outspoken advocate for recognizing the cost of fundraising. Marina, for our listeners who have not had a chance to read your articles uh, on the Huffington Post and other places or to hear you speak about this topic, and before we get into the main topic of today, can you briefly share your thoughts on overhead and why we need to think about it differently? Sure. I mean, I... You know, when I started at Canada Health, I was very much, I think, like most Canadians. I was an educated Canadian. I definitely had views on charities. I was involved with charities. I sat on board. But not until I really understood the charitable sector and what charities are facing every day and how they're structured and where they're at, um, that I, that this really surfaced, uh, in my mind, at least, as one of the most, uh, important factors Sector for all of us to kind of uh, to really think about, and the the the, the reason I saw this uh, this is that I saw firsthand by visiting hundreds of charities at how void of capacity, operational, strategic, business, 
uh, technology, especially an area that I was interested in, share it with us because of the lack of investment into their own capacity. And the lack of investment in their own capacity really comes from one of the most widely entrenched myths, you know, perception on the side of donors and funders is that charities should maintain incredibly low admin ratios, which really translates into, like, not investing into themselves, right? And it's kind of fine to hold that view if you're not, you know, if you don't become aware of the consequences, and the consequences of this approach actually are devastating to the charitable sector because for most charities that I see, they need to be investing way more into themselves and into their ability to actually survive in the upcoming, you know, digital age, which, you know, we're yet to talk. So I've come to see this as an incredibly harmful uh, belief, you know, held, unfortunately, by most, you know, Canadians and funders uh, that actually has the most damaging, directly negative impact on charities in Canada. Wow. I don't think you're going to get any disagreement around this table. <laughs> hey, thank you. And we can circle back to that if we need to. So I'm going to give a, a thank you, Marina, for that. I'm, I know I put you on the spot with that, but I thought that you would have the uh, the background in it, and I followed the, your, your views on that. So thank you. Also joining us today is Christine MacGyver, MacGyver, CEO of Kids Cancer Care right here in Calgary. Christine, welcome. Oh, good morning. I'm very pleased to be here. I have to admit, I feel like I'm in the presence of nonprofit royalty with you here, Christine. Mm-hmm. You, you, you founded one of our most important nonprofits, and you've been a CEO for over 24 years. Uh, I know you started Kid Cancer Care, if I, if I read your bio right, in your basement in 1988. Helping children with cancer is something we, we can all identify with and support, but we, we don't all go out and start a charity. And so I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing with us what inspired you to do just that. Well, first of all, thank goodness that not everybody goes out to start a charity because for me, ignorance was totally bliss. Uh, I started it, of course, for a very personal reason, and that was my son was diagnosed at the age of five and a half with a brain tumor, and I lost him uh, just about five years later. And uh, But uh, not in, before I uh, started uh, working with uh, the Canadian Cancer Society to, uh, to start the, progr- the camp programs here in Alberta. A uh, couple years later, um, perhaps uh, pretty disillusioned that uh, we needed more and more money to go to children's cancer projects. Uh, for instance, uh, expanding the uh, recreational programs that just give kids back their childhood, but also for research in-hospital programs, all of the things that were really vital to pushing uh, childhood cancer ahead in the province of Alberta. So uh, I just um, thought, why not? You know, I'm one mom joined by a bunch of uh, other moms and dads and uh, really passionate uh, uh, volunteers. Most of the people I'd gone to school with uh, became uh, uh, my board members and uh uh, you know what, we just raised up this uh, amazing uh, organization, uh, started it, as you said, Vincent, out of the basement of my house, and uh, uh, just um, shared my dream and let everybody else make it their dream too, and it just, it has grown beyond my wildest expectations of what a, a charity could grow into, but uh, one that's focused on really relieving uh, the, the, the 
suffering that uh, children and families go through uh, due to a diagnosis of childhood cancer, but getting them past that, uh, getting them on to surviving and thriving in body, mind, and spirit. And that's what we focus on every day. Uh, and I'm just so honored to uh, work with um, some very passionate people, not affected by childhood cancer, just affected by the passion it takes to uh, make a difference in this world. So uh, very, very dedicated team. Thank you, Christine. Thank you for sharing that personal story. I, again, I know I put you on the spot, but I knew um, that that uh, you'd be up for the challenge and sharing that with us in such a great organization. I mean, you got, uh, what did you say, 30-something staff uh, or more? And now, uh, you know, it's a very significant organization with Camp Kindle and everything else. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. My pleasure. Finally, joining us also from Calgary, we have the CEO of Brown Bagging for Calgary's Kids, Tanya Koshowski. Tanya, I've been so wanting, <laughs> so wanting to have you on our podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I, fir- I first got to know Tanya when I did some work for Brown Bagging for Calgary's Kids back in 2014 in my consulting role. My first reaction upon meeting Tanya was, was wow. Uh, Tanya is widely known as a very high-functioning CEO, and that is exactly what I walked into. Uh, my game is is usually high. I knew I ha- it had to be even higher than usual with, with Tanya. Uh, right from the beginning, uh, she knew what she wanted uh, when we when she engaged us. Her organization was not in financial crisis. They had a lean operations model, and somehow, somehow, each year uh, the funds they needed arrived. Um, the problem was with the Somehow, uh, the, there was no revenue development plan for brown bagging for Calgary's kids, and not having a plan was not helping Tanya sleep at night. Uh, we helped each other figure this out, and the rest, as they say, is is history. And uh, Tanya, we'll be digging into uh, online giving and how brown bagging works with that in a few minutes. But before we get to that, uh, I know you also do leadership consulting, and I'm wondering if you can share with us or tell us a little bit more about why why did you decide to start doing that? Um, well, thanks, Vincent, for that awesome introduction. It's been a journey for us, and I, it's, uh, I'm glad that we're able, able to sort of walk alongside each other for this, the last six years, even of leadership brown bagging. Um, I think for me, you know, I've kind of a, uh, an, an innate leadership geek side inside of me. There's always been something about how to get people to work better together, to fill a gap or solve a problem or see the opportunity and together do, to fill that, uh, fill that in. And, you know, I just started um, really creating a model that I call people-centered leadership and through kind of the live practice of how I can inspire uh, this amazing staff team I have. And also we have about a 1,000 volunteers a week. So building into the people in my team um, to then build into those volunteers weekly that are, you know, also inspired amazing heroes and individuals in our city that do great work. And I just really felt that I I wanted to be about um, influencing a better way to do leadership and inspiring people to do good, to do take meaningful action. And so just continue to spread that message about leadership and how to do it in a really humanistic, people-centered way. Um, and that's I think that's our, our biggest asset in all the work we do, nonprofit, business, whatever it might be. Building into your people will actually help build into your business. I've had some great opportunities to do some learning and continue practice it, succeed and fail. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's that kind of, I'm, I'm fortunate with the work I get to do at Brown Bagging because I'm passionate about giving kids the opportunity 
to be the best they can be, but also passionate about people working better together through a people-centered leadership. So pretty fortunate that those worlds combine. Thank you for that, Tani. You you continue to inspire me as a leader, Mm -hmm. so thank you. Um, But did I hear a 1,000 volunteers a week? Almost a thousand volunteers a week. Oh my gosh! Okay, so we can we can put a pin in that uh, when we think about yeah. what it's like managing volunteers. So thank you, thank you, Tanya, for that. Yeah. Okay, let's get started. Thank you all for joining us on this our our 18th podcast. Today's topic is in-person fundraising. Get how does relationship fundraising change as more and more people give online? For some fundraisers, sitting down with a prospective donor and asking them to make their gift is the only way they have ever experienced fundraising. For others, especially some of today's next-gen fundraisers, asking for and receiving a gift online is a regular occurrence. If you believe some of the studies, online giving will soon overtake traditional forms of giving. If you believe other reports, online giving is still a small fraction of the overall giving and is going to stay that way. Today, we have the CEO from Canada Helps, who is arguably at the epicenter of online giving in Canada, and we have leaders from two organizations who derive a significant amount of their organization's giving from online sources, Brown Bagging for Calgary's Kids and Kids Cancer Care. So, is face-to-face fundraising dead? Will someone be making a million-dollar gift online soon, or, or has that happened already? And what is really happening, and what can we expect in the next 10 years? Tanya, your organization receives a lot each year from online sources, almost exclusively through Canada Helps. What are you seeing and what are your thoughts? So we do see about over 60% of our um, transactions do come in online. That is only, though, about 18% of our money that we're raising. And so we do see the increase. We see that it is a valuable piece that we need to have that online presence in the world that we live in and um, have worked really closely with Canada Helps to even add that authentic and more, you know, personal touch to how we how we come across online. Um, we would also have the belief that there still needs to be um, the high touch aspect to our funding as well. So trying to actually strategize both of those pieces, the high tech and the high touch to ensure that we can continue to grow the funds that we need to meet the to meet the need that we're seeing. Awesome. I, I was surprised at how much um, funding, uh, how, how many transactions came through your organization yeah. from Canada Helps. Is it yeah. is it partly because of the demographic that you're dealing with, or or why? What do you think? I, I think I think it is as well. I think also we do have a fairly strong online uh, presence and reputation. We have a great communication strategy with that. So. People are engaging. We we do see sometimes um, every day through our kitchen we will see, you know, 12 or 15 brand new faces. And in this day and age, a quick way for them to stay connected to us is to go online, you know, check, follow us on social media, check our website out. And then that um, that's a quick way for them to engage in the work they've just done that morning when they fed a hungry child. Um, so that gives them that sort of a little bit more of a full experience in their volunteer work. And I think that that is part of it. We, and I would also say, um, we work at being good storytellers. And I think if we can do storytelling and kind of create that essence online, people then are, are drawn to that. We do have a ton of millennials that, you know, are coming in to volunteer as well. And that's where they will, um, that's where they will find their ways to give as well. We'll be online. Thank, 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 
thank the, the, the gods that we have uh, storytelling still important. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Marina or Christine, did you want to weigh in uh, on, on some things that I said or something that Tanya said um, uh, or, or, or even just offer up a, 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 a new perspective? Who wants to go first? Uh, I, I will. <laughs> go ahead, Christine. You know, I think, um, uh, you know, face-to-face and online uh, giving are not mutually exclusive. Uh, uh, and I think uh, what uh, Tanya had offered up about the storytelling is is also very, very true and, and uh, vital in anything. Uh, once we have a, a, a special event, um, anything that we're doing online that uh, uh, is peer-to-peer, we also want to uh, follow up with all of those uh, new donors and make sure that uh, we've got really good follow through with them. Uh, we don't just say thank you, which is obviously very important, but uh, uh, we follow up with a story from one of our kids. It's a really cute little video that uh, we send them. First of all, uh, one week after they've given a gift, we, we send a, a thank you from uh, our, our little folks kid, Foster, and then follow up a week later with a video from Foster uh, just saying about talking about the impact of uh, the gift. And then uh, another week, we will uh, uh, ask them to learn more, to, uh, talk more about our social media, uh, follow up with requests. And then again, a few, you know, one to three months later, we'll ask them for another gift again. So I think it's not just vital that we say thank you. It's also vital that we follow up with them afterwards and ask them for another gift, even though it's very transactional and in, with the peer-to-peer uh, they're actually supporting the person that asked them for the gift, and, and generally that's uh, in, in our uh, two signature events that we do, and then one ongoing campaign uh, with our head shaves and birthday parties. Very transactional. You're, ask, you're asking for a gift from uh, somebody that you know, and so they're really supporting the person that who's asking for the gift. They're not really supporting the charity. That's kind of secondary. It's our job to take that story back to them and say, look at what you've done with that amazing gift. So uh, that's that's just one of the things that uh, I wanted to follow up with on uh, Tanya's comments. So thank you. That's awesome. I heard you say transactional, but I think you meant relational. Well, it it the the gift is transactional, and then we turn it into relational. So uh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for 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 our listeners, and I. Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure I know what the term means, but just, but what does peer to peer mean to you? That word peer to peer, that's not used everywhere. Um, it's kind of an inside word. Um, can yeah. you help the audience understand what the word peer to peer means? Sure. It's somebody participating in an event that asks one of their peers for a gift. So they, in fact, become the fundraiser. And so it's asking for a gift, uh, and generally online, uh, unless they're still doing it, uh, you know, uh, by uh, a, a pledge sheet, which still from time to time still happens, but it's still peer-to-peer fundraising. So it's a mm-hmm. peer asking a peer for a gift for something that they're participating in. So online does not mean abandoning the traditional fundraising practices, right? Storytelling matters, relationships matter. That's what I'm hearing. Well, it, it's certainly the case for us, Vincent, uh, because when it the where it comes in there the the face to face is where we uh create that relationship with people to want to participate in the online. So 
you know, you, it, they're never mutually exclusive. We always have to create that, uh, that relationship still with people. And let's face it, fundraising is all relations. It's, it's so vital in establishing a rapport, uh, talking to people, getting them excited about what it is that you're doing, and then they take it to the next level of that peer-to-peer and online relationship. Thanks. That's awesome. Now, Marina, you've heard uh, two leaders in the sector with organizations talking about how this is impacting their work. Right, right. What do you have to say about this, and what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, this is, you know, I have so many thoughts. <laughs> I do. I, I definitely agree that this is not, you know, that the in-person fundraising and direct mail, for that matter, is not dead. Um, I do believe that, you know, the technology disruption and upheaval um, will continue to roll forward. Um, I was just at the Imagine Canada's uh, leaders conference in Halifax, and there was uh, a presenter, a speaker, Kevin Lynch, who is the chairman of the Bank of Montreal, and he said, the same because technology is really has already disrupted so many industries and uh, it will just continue and all the for-profit players are really investing a lot into all the upcoming technologies, the AI. That, so I know that for sure and I also know that because back in 2000, I was a magazine publisher of an award-winning, big, well-recognized Canadian uh, magazine and we got... 100% of our consumer revenue, subscription revenue through direct mail. Then the internet started happening and, you know, at first we were really dismissive. Like we just never believed that, you know, online will disrupt the print and the magazine industry and we couldn't, I think in a wildest dream, think that our consumer revenues, all the direct mails that we were doing, that that would be replaced by the online uh, acquisition of subscriptions. And I can tell you that 18 years later, uh, most magazines that are still around, and certainly in the States, that 90% of their subscription revenue is now done online. So, and in the meantime, so many magazines and print media and other media have suffered and closed doors. And to the point that actually the CRA is considering giving media or some forms of media or journalism and charitable status. So I'm really aware of the upheaval. I also know that the incumbents are always, uh, you know, there to kind of underestimate what's going on because that's just, you know, the nature of, like, status quo and, you know, when you don't see the whole picture. So I know that, you know, for the charitable sector, I know that the online is going to continue to, uh, grow. I mean, I can look at Canada Health as a growth. You know, I, I read so many studies and, uh, you know, whether, you know, online will replace all giving at some point possible. I don't think that's tomorrow. I don't even think that's in five years, right? But I think it, it, it may be at some future point because the younger generations are going to be driving engagement online, the storytelling online, the relationship building online, and all the stuff that, you know, for-profits have already kind of, you know, started to figure out, you know, decade ago. So, uh, you know, but in the meantime, we are going to have this mix, right? And the mix is going to be about, wow, like how do I maintain the average value for donation? 
and how do I make sure it doesn't drop? Because we know that as you, uh, as, as the mix becomes different, we know that online, the average donation per online is usually smaller, right? Like there is a lot of research that supports that. So I think a lot of organizations have, you know, lots of challenges in front of them, which is really like how do we, how do we look at this from, to Christine's point of view, from an, from an integrated point of view, so that we're there. And we keep developing our capacity and our know-how so that we could be part of the digital future with, like, younger people. You know, my son doesn't even know that you have to put a post postage on an envelope to mail it anywhere. Like, he's a <laughs> 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 he was Hold on. Oh, you're, you heard it here, the death of the stamp. Marina... Gorgelach says the stamp is dead. <laughs> he mailed something, and I said, did you put a stamp on it? And he said, stamp? I need to put a stamp? Right? Like, yeah. crazy. Everything is free and, you know, whatever. Like, somebody else is paying for something. So so I think, I think we are going to be going through this, like, slow churn and change in, like, the mix of things. And I think, you know, I think, like, the, you know... And, and then the peer-to-peer, which is really, again, like it's a whole different world because the same son that I'm mentioning, he has type 1 diabetes and he sometimes does something to support the diabetes charity and his friends donate to it because of him, not because they necessarily mm. really, you know, care or engage with the charity. So I think for charities and to Christine's point, it's a whole different world. Well, how do we then make sure that people who donate to us because of Luca, right, that they, they continue to be engaged with us. So I think there are lots of new skill sets and um, that are involved. And mm-hmm. I think because of what I said at the beginning, that a lot of smaller charities are just not ready to deal with it, right? And as giving in Canada, increasingly it's fallen on, like if we look at a, you know, a rolled up staff, uh, they're given on, a shoulder of shrinking pool of older donors, right? And then we're saying, well, it will be more online, but guess what? These gifts are going to be smaller, right? So, uh, you know, having strategies for that and preparing and maintaining this mix and following up and doing the upselling and all the things that are good practices, I think will be so important. During this Marina, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more on that. Uh, you know, if, uh, if there's small charities out there and funders out there listening to this podcast, they need to consider investing in a small charity. If they really want to give them a hand up, it would yeah. be to help invest in their technology to make sure that they've got top notch, easy to use, um, engagement survey, uh, uh, yeah. software that that is going to help with the experience of the online giving, uh, you know, great web page, great web portal yeah. to, to ease yeah. that uh, in there. Uh, because the person asking for pledges, they've just got to have a great experience and a great way to yeah. say thank you. And, and then they're, you're going to have repeat um, uh, uh, pledge giving. Yeah. So that's, and that's what, uh, that's what we want. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And honestly, Marina, go ahead, Marina. This is an era of, of UI. It's all about user experience. It's all about user interface. Like when I look at GoFundMe, which is raising a lot of money for personal philanthropy, and here, like they're so sleek. Like it's because it's so so sleek. It's so fast. It's so seamless. They're very very sophisticated, and 
uh, it is a lot about user experience, right? And then I look at a smaller charity, and they're so far from it. They're, like, so far mm-hmm. from it. And I really mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more uh, with Christine that this investment in a digital know-how and understanding, and at least some basic technology, uh, it's just it's just it's critical. Mm-hmm. Thank and that's, you, Tanya. I that's, I, I, go ahead. Yeah, that, I was just I was just going to add that is exactly Marina's back to, and you know, echoing Christine too is that it's best kind of the cart before the horse. Like we need to have the investment to actually be able to invest into the people to do the chair to do the technology to increase that presence, and then you need the funders to do that. So it's kind of that. You know, that cycle of what, what happens first and what, you know, get that right investor, see the value, all those pieces. And then also just to add is I think the opportunity is then, you know, we're talking about the value of relationship and that peer-to-peer and the increase. We know that this online technology is going to take us all by storm. So then how do we humanize? Our, our organizations to give people that relational, real relational feeling yeah. online, um, that they're actually responding to a need and they see them that even in the online experience, they're leaning in and seeing themselves as something bigger and as a part of something more. And so that's, I think, the opportunity and learning curve for us as leaders in the nonprofit sector is to how do you humanize that online? So you know what we refer to that uh, at uh, Kids Cancer Care that uh, uh, we see our our online is a little bit like online dating. Let's meet mm-hmm. one day, and if you're let's meet one day if you're interested, and move you up the donor pyramid. But uh, you know we meet you we meet one day and uh, and, and I love that analogy, Christine. I love that analogy, the online dating piece, because it's like, hey, yeah, maybe we'll meet in. IRL one day and then we have a coffee and who knows, he might start dating and exchanging financial, you know, experiences. Well, what, about, so what, that's, what about the yeah. dating experience? Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I wanted. I wanted to dig into that too. I, I'm not trying to be funny, Tanya. The, uh, there are, there, the, right now I would suggest that the, um, some of the underpinnings of this new wave of technology, especially with social media, it's, it's a tough year for folks who interact with data uh, because they're, 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 for a lot of reasons, the algorithm is not seen as our friend um, right yeah. now. And it's, uh, some of that can be yeah. because people don't understand or whatever, but, but that's also part of the future of online giving and that experience. There are, there are chat bots in Australia that are doing some of the early engagement with folks after they make the first gift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm wondering, Marina. Marina, did you want to weigh in a bit with where, what, where is the future? What is the future looking like in the early term? What are some things that are going to transform our experience to the next level? And what are some of the issues with that? And I think we can all weigh in on that uh, or, yeah. or opportunities. Mm-hmm. Well, Marina? I mean, yeah, I, I think I think definitely I, I I think definitely we'll continue to see the increase in online giving as more and more people are comfortable. And again, this is very parallel with e-commerce, for example. I mean, the e-commerce is still, uh, I, I don't know the recent stats, but it's still, I think, a relatively small portion of the overall retail volume in the state. But it has been growing by leaps and bounds every year, right? So people become more comfortable with doing things online, more people, older. I mean, we, you know, I don't think it's just the, the younger people. So more of our lives are going to be there for better or for worse. 
Um, I think everybody will have to figure out how to participate in that and how to, you know, make sure that, you know, they're, they're in the game, frankly, and that they're taking, you know, that they have an integrated strategy of, you know, how to deal with that top of the funnel that comes from the online and how to create, uh, how to create stories online. I mean, the charities nowadays are not just like competing for share of wallet among different causes and different charities. They're competing for share of wallet against social enterprises, startups, corporations who are aggressively getting into the social good area because that's really what their millennial employees are demanding. So it's like their internal branding. Almost everybody has a foundation. Almost everybody is doing something. And, you know, they're co-opting the language of charities and social good, and often they're actually doing it better than we we are. Like, well, they're bigger investment because they have the money and they have the. So I think I think we'll have to. I think the storytelling. You see, the charities have the best content ever. Charities have the most mm-hmm. engaging, the most amazing. I mean, just listening to Christina, I was like weeping here. They have the best content, right, for engagement and for compassion and for getting the best of people, but we're not as good in, like, telling it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's something that, that, that really needs to happen. And, you know, there are lots of up-and-coming technologies. The AI, the artificial intelligence, is going to transform everything. I mean, there are already, you know, lots of applications. We have been doing some work here at Canada Help. Uh, the chatbots, you mentioned them, you know, there are other, you know, the blockchains and the virtual realities and the other ones that are coming. And I don't really know how influential they will be. I know that peer-to-peer is a very big phenomena. I know that a peer-to-peer phenomena, which has been really brought about by the technology innovation and disruption, is why GoFundMe and other crowdfunding platforms are so huge, right? Because it is that immediate thing and you know for uh, you know I can sit here and tell you till tomorrow why uh, giving to crowdfunding is wrong and it's not systemic and it's not really going to solve anything but who cares like I've seen this already it doesn't matter what I think <laughs> it's going to happen and I think for yeah. us it's like how do we make the best out of it how do we use this crowdfunding for more strategic reasons or to educate people that you know giving to one person is not going to solve it's for all, right? That's right. Um, you know, I it's, it's the old adage questions. of catching me at a weak moment. We need to be far more strategic than that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. But I Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying, I, I think, you know, I, I mean, I've gone through this disruption, again, as a magazine publisher, media executive. It's rough. It's tough. But you could, you could come out of the other end. But you know what? You need investment. And that's actually what worries me the most when I look at charities. It really does. You know? It's, it's, it's you, I don't, I, I, I don't, yeah, I don't see the, me, the needle, uh, moving very quickly on that um, resourcing issue. No. So I'm glad that we're talking about it a lot because that's the only way I think we're going to move it. Yeah, it's a huge yeah. mindset shift for our world, right? And I don't, people yeah. are, are we're slow to, to shift to that. There's still kind of a little bit more of an old school attitude about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But maybe charities need to, I mean, I don't know, but but I think, I think for sure, uh, I think there are some real challenges. I think 
facing a charitable sector. It's, it's a very, uh, it's, you know, philanthropy as a whole is really changing and shifting, and there are lots of players, and, you know, uh, I mean, may, uh, uh, combine that with, you know, younger people's preference for causes, you know, versus institutions or, like, specific charities. I think, uh, I think we'll, we'll, you know, we, we, you know, we have challenges, and at the same time, what happens to the charitable sector is just enormously consequential for the well-being of Canada. And again, I don't know if every Canadian squarely understands that, uh, which we're trying. I mean, I'm trying in my own small, tiny way. I'm trying to do something about it as much as I can. Like I'm out there and talking, and you know, we do so much trying to like educate people. Really, it's the education. It's the you know, it's the lack of information. Mm-hmm. I think one so, thing in terms of our online giving is also just even connecting with those volunteers, like finding that balance between they can give their time, but they also can, can give their treasure, right? So both of those pieces uh, can yeah. be a valuable part of the of the relationship. So um, I know Benevity here in Calgary, right? They do a fantastic job of an online platform that is with those two values. It's the online and and it's the volunteer time. Um, and I think people and corporations and individuals are are wanting to engage in that more for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, for sure. I, I would agree. We we rely on uh, on volunteers uh, so much, and we can't just uh, uh, ask them to volunteer. We also need to ask them for their treasure too, and and what's the most appropriate way of doing that. Uh, I just wanted to add uh, one other thing, just to you know the face to face fundraising. I don't believe could ever be dead. People yeah. ask people for gifts and humans need human contact. And yeah. uh, even though we're looking more and more at the millennials as uh, the people that are uh, going to, they, they, they're, they're the early adopters, they're online, they're giving online, uh, usually small gifts at first, but if we don't turn that into yeah. a relationship, uh, we're, we're going to lose them too yeah. because as yeah. soon as you lose the relationship or the cause or, or, or bring it right to the forefront of what they're, they're thinking and acting on, it, you're not going to, it's not going to go yeah. anywhere. You're going to have yeah. one-time donors and we don't want one-time donors. We oh, want to keep adding that to our, our <laughs> list of donors. Yeah. Well, uh, I made a note earlier when you were talking, um, Christine, cause I know a little bit about your organization and, uh, uh, Appropriately, but but perhaps more significantly than other organizations, I feel like Kids Cancer Care has paid attention to um, uh, marketing and communications to support the storytelling. Um, that's been a, a significant uh, direction of the organization in the past. Your your shop is well known uh, in our sector as having some really crackerjack marketing communications. And I'm just I wanted you to talk about. You know, when did you guys make that decision? And, and I mean, it's not easy to do sometimes with a board who kind of go focus on this or that. Um, how did you, how did you make that happen? Well, first of all, our board members are very engaged in the fundraising process and that's through, you know, uh, razor sharp recruitment. Uh, and then our marketing and communications team are, are, as you say, they're, they're crackerjack. And we made sure that we integrated marketing and communications with our fundraising team and that they were very deliberate in creating a strategy to make sure that they supported one another. So we, we wanted to make sure that we had the, the, the appropriate, um, uh, thank yous online when somebody gave that, 
uh, that we created a video. We listened to what's happening in our sector uh, to make sure that we integrated everything at the right time. And, um, you know, to continue to engage people through the process uh, of their gift, um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, let's make this more strategic than just a knee-jerk reaction uh, that we see with uh, um, uh, online giving through uh, the, uh, uh, the GoFundMe pages. Uh, you know, we, we see that, that reaction to a tragedy or, or, or a natural disaster that people will go online because their gut and their heart is telling them to. But then we need to change it into a head reaction, make it a reasonable, understanded understanding um, intellectual exchange that I want to continue to give. And that's what we did with our, our marketing and communications team, knew and understood that, that that's what we have to um, uh, continue that uh, relationship with people. Yeah, that's Thank you for sharing that, Christine. I just wanted the audience to hear that. Um, uh, I, I mean, we, we know that your, that your team is, is widely respected and they deliver, but I wanted you to share, you know, that, that, that your in, inner workings of that. Um, any, any, um, anything that people want to sort of, uh, put into the mix before I start to draw this to a close? I know that we could talk about this for hours, but, um, any last yeah. comments before <laughs> I, something that you wanted to say that you didn't get a chance to? I, you know what I would just say for you know as a smaller nonprofit we're under just under two million dollars um, do what you can and try practice be authentic might not be per- perfect polished online but do the best that you can do just try something you know and try and be strategic about it I think that's also a theme we're hearing too here is that you know you can do the online and the face to face but you have strategy with both of them and even the creating that connection online. Um, but I think just try, just try something, see how it, how it works and don't be afraid to do that and see where it ends up. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree with that, Tanya. And, 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 you know, although our next generation of, of fund, um, funders, uh, prefer the ease of giving online or, you know, through peer to peer, they still need that personal touch. It's, it's a lot harder to say no in person, especially for larger gifts. So, you know, for major gift fundraising, I think we're still going to be that face-to-face. But we may have found them online. And so that's the beauty of online. It is our new uh, way of uh, of uh, acquisition. Um, that will supplement, of course, um, our uh, mail campaigns, our other avenues of annual giving. Yeah, good distinction. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm reassured the topic was a little, the topic title was a little provocative about is, you know, is, is, uh, in-person fundraising dead? Well, clearly it isn't. Um, and does relationship fundraising still matter? And of course it still does. And all of the fundamentals still matter. Uh, the storytelling, the yeah, relationship, sure. the, the cause. So that's fantastic. And I, and I, I, I heard lots of that today and I know our listeners will want to probably re-listen to everything. You've been fantastic guests. Christine, Tanya, Marina, I look forward to when we can have all of you, each of you back on the podcast, and we do have repeat guests, so that's awesome. Um, before we go, I want uh, each of you to have a chance to tell us a little more about what you're working on or uh, the best places that people can reach you or what's sort of making you um, gathering your attention right now. So, Tanya, maybe I'll, I'll start with you. Anything you want our listening audience to know or hear? Um, sure. I would, you know what, I would just, I know what I'm working on right now is just, 
getting uh, the people in an organization through transition. So that board and staff just to move to a different place and how to do that. Um, again, with I have this value of this people-centered leadership. So working on that through the lens of how do you do that with people-centered leadership. And I'll, I'll share the three guiding principles on that, and that's listening to yourself, learning to do that, knowing your purpose is the second principle, and caring for others as foundational leadership principles to build what you're what you're doing in the world, whatever that is. And so I'm excited to work on that uh, kind of as a side as a side hustle to want to inspire it, but also then to have the live practice within brown bagging to transform our organization holistically from kind of this entrepreneurial organization to more established organization that has opportunity for some great impact. So that's kind of that's that's what's happening for me right now in brown bagging. Awesome. What's the best way for people to reach you, Tanya? Uh, the best way for people to reach me, um, either through bb4ck.org. The website is probably a great spot. And I would say the same thing for some of my leadership side is, is tanyak.ca is my, is my site there. So you can find me on all the Twitter, social media handles and everything. Can, or probably that's the easiest way for people to find me there. Awesome. Thanks, Tanya. Marina. Tell us what's going on. What are you What are you working on now? What's taking all your time? Well, we're just uh, we're just entering the busy season, so there is always like tons of work that uh, that goes into making sure that all our initiatives are are going on, that we're prepared for you know a huge upsurge in traffic and donations. Um, last year, we launched our first ever giving report, uh, which uh, which showed. Uh, that over in the last 10-year period, the giving in Canada has gone down. We widely publicized it. There were lots of media attention. And, uh, again, like, we really wanted to, like, we want to be out there telling Canadians how important charitable giving is and how consequential for all of us, for our children, for our children's children. So we'll continue to do this, and we're actually now preparing our second annual giving report, which will come out in October. And again, Woo! I'm excited. We're working, we're working with partner with Imagine Canada this year because they have a really good research capacity, uh, which we do, but not as good as theirs. So I'm excited about that. And, uh, you know, again, we continue to be out there trying to engage Canadians, trying to talk about charitable uh, issues and things that matter. And on the servicing of the smaller charities, we continue to build out our tools. Uh, we feel very, very, very passionate about that work and the democratization of uh, access to solid fundraising technology and tools that are affordable. Um, we do a lot of innovation in this area. It's not evident to somebody who is not like a technology geek. But we do a lot of innovation so that we can offer really good tools while keeping the price low uh, and offer features that, you know, more like bigger providers charge for. Uh, we're currently working on our CRM, which we're using uh, an open source to build on that will perfectly integrate with Canada Health. And again, like in everything else we do, we're going to make it affordable. We're going to make it user-friendly. We're going to make it as good as it can be and offer it at a really attractive price. And we're going to invest a lot into tools and resources so that a lot of charities can onboard themselves 
right? Without having to. Uh, so we're busy, and again, we're passionate. We, you know, we do tons of education, webinars, white papers, and we really are trying to do something in our, again, small way to make sure that as many, you know, charities out there as possible do have access to, uh, you know, decent, decent fundraising technology that is affordable and that they don't need to have, you know, a web team or people who understand integration and technology infrastructure and architecture to, to have something, or that they don't have to uh, pay a lot. And I'm very proud of what we built. I, I, I think what we have is really good. And, you know, Tanya, you're our client, so client partners, so you can be a better judge. But uh, I know it's <laughs> extremely hard yeah. in the last five yeah. years to do really the best we could, as, yeah. as well as we can. And Yeah, well, it- and Marina, what you're what you're doing and what Canada Health's doing is phenomenally important uh, across the board. Uh, if we don't have someone, an organization like you and a leader like you, we're not going to be able to be in the right place uh, for this technology wave. So thank you for that. Um, are, on the open source side, are you using Civi CRM or something else? Or yes, we're using. We're going. We're going to use Civi. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. That's great. I'm sorry if I got a little nerdy there. Um, but, uh, the, the other thing, um, uh, just before I, I, I give uh, Christine the final word, is um, uh, uh, as, a, as a user, as a donor, uh, and I give in both ways, I, I, I do love working with Canada Helps because I think I have a number of sort of monthly giving things that happen for a number of places nice. I support, and I just love nice. the whole mechanism. It's uh, And I'm a, fun, you know, a fresh up hunter, so I have a little bit of a jaded eye to it, so it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Thank um, you. So thank you. I mean, Christ- we're, we're Christine, just a piece of it. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're an important piece. Christine, uh, you get the last word. Tell us uh, what's what's important to you right now, what's going on, and what do you want us to know? Well, I think uh, the the big one that we just uh, completed uh, on uh, September 8th was uh, we uh, launched our first um, and uh, next big event. We're very event-heavy, and uh, that was the Kindle Pursuit, and it took uh, advantage of peer-to-peer fundraising. Uh, it was an obstacle, an amazing race, obstacle-style uh, event that took place at Camp Kendall. It's our cancer camp out in Water Valley. Uh, beautiful, beautiful facility, and so we took advantage of educating uh, everybody as they went from obstacle to obstacle about childhood cancer, so uh, it was uh, it was just a ton of fun, uh, and we raised some significant cash. It was replacing our golf tournament, uh, which we retired last year, kind of a sign of the times with, uh, with where um, our um, society is going nowadays. Uh, they're, they're golfing less, they're cycling more, they're doing obstacle courses more, so that was lots of fun. Uh, we're planning a couple of new buildings at camp. Uh, it's always growing and expanding, uh, first to uh, serve our mission-based uh, children and then to uh, also be uh, a wonderful area for uh, other nonprofits uh, and uh, corporates to rent uh, and uh, do corporate retreats. Uh, do your charitable organization retreats, uh, your nonprofit retreats there. Um, there's going to be some, some really neat uh, programming space there. And then the other thing that we're working on is our, our office move. Uh, we're moving uh, into um, uh, a new building that is uh, completely standalone, one-story building uh, out in the southeast uh, that's going to enable us to uh, offer programming. Uh, we'll have our own air supply, so uh, uh, when our immune-suppressed kids come to visit, and um, do their exercise physiology and, and programming there that uh, that they're in a more uh, contagion-free 
environment or as safe as we can possibly make it. But we're also going to be able to train out of there, train our, our uh, amazing volunteers out of there, uh, have our AGM, uh, do our scholarship awards, all of those kinds of things there. So we're really, really excited about that and the, and the growth that that provides. And then the uh, other area that we're looking on is um, uh, increasing in our uh, research funding. We know that without really good research funding into pediatric oncology, not a lo- not just here in Alberta, but uh, uh, nationally and internationally, that we are not going to uh, help more children survive this horrific illness. So we're still losing 20% of those kids, and that's just a crime. We need to save every child diagnosed. So that's my final word. Thank you for that poignant finish, Christine. Um, I, uh, I I loved hearing what was going on. I also appreciate the fact that uh, your organization has the confidence the confidence to look at an event and retire it. And uh, yeah. and you know mm-hmm. times change and uh, not not galas might work, they might not work, whatever. But you need to be pay attention to when they're starting to flag and move on, and that's great. Um, I really love that. Thank you for that that closing piece. Where can people uh, get a hold of or, or look into Kids Cancer Care? What's the best way for people to, to look into what you're doing? Well, I think, that first of all, our very best way is our webpage, which is kidscancercare.ab.ca. We've got an amazing webpage, uh, thanks to our marketing communications team. Uh, mm-hmm. We've also got a great Facebook account, and it's uh, it's just uh, KCCFA, so you could search Kids Cancer Care and find it. We're uh, at Kids Cancer Care on Twitter. Uh, we are on Instagram at Kids Ca- uh, with Kids Cancer Care. We've got a great ma- uh, amount of uh, YouTube videos, and it's just Kids Cancer Care on there. And uh, we've also got a story page, uh, which uh, I think uh, people would uh, love to see, and it's our kidscancercare.ab.ca stories. And uh, we talked a little bit about uh, storytelling today, and, and we know that uh, our, uh, our donors, uh, our families, our volunteers, just the public in general love to hear our stories. So that those are some great ways to uh, get in touch with us. Well, with that, I very much enjoyed listening to your stories today, and so will our audience uh, from all of you. So thank you. With that, our gift of another Brain Trust philanthropy powered by Betrayal has been committed. Well, that's about it for this episode of Brain Trust Philanthropy. I hope you will join us next month when our topic will be introvert or extrovert which makes the better fundraiser. Joining us will be Derek Bechthold, a fundraiser with the Association for the Rehabilitation of the Brain Injured, Kim Taylor, a sector leader and fundraiser in Edmonton, and Larissa Grosh, consultant with Betrayal. Just before we go, if you have not visited our website in a while, I encourage you to do just that. Under the Brain Trust banner, we have added some free resources, including a campaign preparation checklist and a stewardship audit. Go take a look. You can find them and much more at betrayalgroup.ca. Talk to you in a few weeks. Brain Trust Philanthropy is powered by Vitreo and is produced by Lauren McMurray at Alchemy Communications and by me, Vincent Duckworth. Brain Trust Philanthropy is recorded in beautiful downtown Calgary, Alberta. Follow our show and engage with fellow listeners on Twitter at Powered by Vitreo. You can subscribe to Brain Trust Philanthropy on iTunes or by visiting our website at vitreogroup.ca. Wishing all of you success in your mission, peace in your lives, hope in your hearts. I'm Vincent Duckworth.